We're glad you guys are here this morning. It's, uh, man, it's, I don't know, but you, I, like, I come to the house of God. I come here anticipating what God's going to do. You know, I believe it's, uh, we come, we're investing our time, and which we couldn't give a better present to the Lord when it comes to sacrifice and a gift when it comes to our time. So we're glad that you're here. And so in doing that, I want you to take your Bibles. And I encourage you to bring your Bible with you. There's Bibles also underneath these chairs. And Nehemiah chapter 4. I want you to, the next couple of weeks, remember looking at Nehemiah chapter 4. Uh, we have a few weeks before we get into the first year, and I'm working on what's going to happen next year uh, uh, message-wise. And so it kind of gives me kind of a break, right? And kind of put some stuff in, some things that kind of God's been kind of talking to me about. And so I have a chance to do that. And so I encourage you, though, uh, to you know, take your Bibles or your nooks or your phones or your whatever you have or a black Bible like Jesus would have. And... Uh, <clears throat> Anyway, and, uh, and so I want you to uh, have an opportunity to learn some things this morning from the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is a tremendous guy. And when you think about who he was, he was in food service and security. Those are two very interesting occupations. But when you really study about his life, this is really what he did. Uh, he was in food service. He was responsible to give the king uh, his, what he drank. And he was in security by what that means. He was a cupbearer. And, you know, back in the day when the kings were around, uh, one of the ways you'd kill the kings was through poisoning them. And so uh, what Nehemiah did, uh, he was in a position before the king drank it, he drank it. Now, his life, they didn't last very long, these guys. But, uh, but anyway, this is who he's talking about. He had a pretty cool position. He was, uh, uh, you know, he, he had it pretty much made. Uh, I'm sure he was, a, I know he was a man of great respect, a man that was really trusted. And so this is the fellow we're going to talk about next couple of weeks. We're going to learn some things from him. Uh, he, again, had that position in Persia. Uh, he, I mean, you I mean, he, probably everything was going well for him, but he, he was a Jew. Uh, he loved his country. He particularly loved Jerusalem. And he had some friends come by that were going to talk to him. He was always, I think he was the kind of individual that anytime someone came from home, he wanted to hear what they had to say. And so they talked to him about what was going on in Jerusalem. In fact, he asked, how are things in Jerusalem? You know, I'm glad that he wasn't like our churches do. You know, we asked the question, how are you doing? And what's the answer? Fine, we just lie. And uh, so I'm glad that he didn't do that. These guys who are his friends, he said, Nehemiah said, how's things in Jerusalem? He said, man, Nehemiah, things are not good. I mean, the walls are tore down, and the, uh, there's a reproach. I mean, there's no security. There's no safety. Uh, there's no testimony because of that particular thing going on. And so I think he probably did what a lot of us do. He probably prayed, oh, God, send somebody to Jerusalem. God, you need to send somebody to Jerusalem. Do you hear me, God? I mean, get someone and send somebody to Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, God said, I'm going to send you. <laughs> and that had to be a revelation to him. And so we find that this worked out. He, he, he yielded to God's call. Uh, he prepared himself. God did miraculous things to get him to Jerusalem. He got to Jerusalem. He looked over the situation, and he realized the walls were in worse. It's always worse than what they are telling you. And you're not as good as they're telling you either. But anyways, it was really bad. And so he began the process of building the walls in Jerusalem. Now, this is where we are this morning. Uh, you would think that everyone would be excited about getting the walls built and removing the reproach. I mean, it must have been a mess. Can't you imagine? A mess. And so you would think that people in that area, it's like in the neighborhood you're living in, there's always that house, isn't there? 
They don't ever cut their grass, you know. And uh, they don't, you know, they, they, you know, they have those uh, tires in the car. They have tires in their yards with flowers in them. Okay, <laughs> some of you know what state I'm talking about, and <clears throat> but I'm not going to tell you. But uh, so you see all that kind of stuff and all, and you would think that the people around there would say, man, I'm glad you guys are cleaning this mess up. I'm glad you're doing that. But that wasn't the case. They were getting ready to do it. And look at what was happening. You're, are you in verse, chapter 4, verse 1, let's begin. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we built the wall, he was wroth. I mean, he was ticked off. And took great indignation and mocked the Jews. What's happening here? He this was going on. Now you can understand as long as the walls were down, Jerusalem was not secure. They were pretty much to be handled any way they wanted. And they were kind of used to handling God's people that way. Kind of sounds like today, doesn't it? How the world handles God's people. And think that's going to be okay. Anyway, so they they were ticked off by what was going on. Now, look what they said here in verse 2. He was speaking to his, his people. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Can you, can you feel the scorn? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in the day? Will they revive the stones out of the heap of the rubble which are burnt? I mean, all tough questions. I mean, ridicule and scorn. I don't understand, guys, why you're surprised when the, world, when the world scorns believers and makes fun of believers. I mean, that's always been the M.O. of the world. And this was going on here. And you know another thing happens? People have a tendency to pile on. Look at, look at verse uh, 3. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him. And he said this, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. <laughs> I mean, these guys were, I mean, they, they didn't like what was going on, and so they made fun of them and ridiculed them and all. But look at what Nehemiah did. Verse 4, Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out, from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. Do you see what he did here? He didn't make it about them. He made it about God. He said, God, look what they're doing to you and to your people. And so <clears throat> it's interesting. A lot of times when we're, no one likes to be ridiculed or made fun of. I just don't think that's something we really like for it to happen. But this was happening here. And we have a tendency, I know probably no one here has ever done this, but have you ever felt sorry for yourself? I knew I was with a, with, a, with a top optimistic crowd here this morning. But, you know, <laughs> go back to sleep. Anyway, but, uh, but, but I think the thing is that, you know, what, a lot of times when we, when we are being ridiculed and made fun of and our, our, our character is being questioned, that's what was happening. Their character was being questioned. Their ability was being questioned. I mean, their product was being questioned. Everything was being questioned. And so when they had that happen, what Nehemiah did, he went to God in prayer. This was an interesting prayer. He was, this was not a very nice prayer. I mean, he pretty much was pretty clear on what he wanted to see happen, you know. Hey, when I'm talking to God, I realize that God is not going to share with anybody else what I say. And so I can say whatever I want to say. And I pretty much can be able to do that. And you know what I find out? When I share it with him, he doesn't, he doesn't divulge what I say to other people. He keeps secrets, if you will. Now, 
Look at verse, uh, this is all introduction, by the way. We'll get to the message eventually. <laughs> look at, look at verse, uh, verse 6. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together under the half door, about half done. For the people had a mind to work. So stuff was happening. I mean, the wall was being built. I mean, it must have been an exciting thing if you were a Jew particularly. And to see that Jerusalem, uh, this reproach was being taken care of. And man, you know, things were happening very positive. And it must have looked good getting these things taken care of. And you would think, you would think now the world's going to accept it. You'd be wrong. Look at verse 7. But, but it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breach began to be stopped. They were very wroth. I mean, they were ticked off and they were really ticked off. Isn't it amazing what makes the world mad? I mean, it's amazing. I mean, this was a good thing happening and they were not happy about it. They were really upset. I mean, you know, look what they did in verse 8. <clears throat> And conspired all of them to gather together and fight against Jerusalem to hinder it. And how did uh, uh, Nehemiah deal with this? Verse 9, Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against the day, night, because of them. So we find the world ridiculed them because of what they were doing for God. We find that the world now intimidated them. We are going to kill you. Death has a way of ending your life. I'm sorry, I'm going too fast. I mean, this was not a good thing. I mean, this was a, I don't know, but this is a pretty tough situation. And so the world's doing this now. But here, here, here's the crux of the problem that I, I see. I mean, I don't like to be ridiculed. I don't like to be intimidated. But a bigger problem had come up. Here it is, verse 10. And Judah said, Judah, this is verse 10, chapter 4 of Nehemiah. Judah's part of the group. He, he, was, he was a part of the situation there. And look what he's saying. Judah said, the strength of the, build, the bearers of burden is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. He said, and our adver adversaries said, they shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst of, among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews, which dwell by them, these are these friends, these are fellow Jews, they said unto us ten times. Very important. They said this to these people ten times. From all places when she shall return unto us, they will be upon you. Now, <clears throat> what's happening here, guys, is that the, the, the outward problem was difficulty. The ridicule and all that stuff was bad and the intimidation. But now within the group, there was people within the group, they were observing what they thought was going on. And what was going on, these folks were becoming be, coming to be very discouraged. Have you ever been discouraged? Discouraged is a cousin of depression. Take your pick. Which one would you like? Want to be depressed? Want to be discouraged? I mean, but this is what was going on here because of what was happening. It wasn't so much the intimidation. It wasn't so much, you know, the mockery. But our own people, the people that we're with, they were saying, they, had, they were saying these things about the people. They were very discouraged. Now, a couple of things I can tell you about this group. Number one, discouragement is universal. We all get discouraged. I like to be able to tell you that I live a life that I never get discouraged, but the problem is discouragement 
is it happens to all of us. It's universal. I mean, if you get around someone and they tell you they've never been discouraged, not only are they discouraged, but they're liars. And so it's really a problem. So two things are a problem. And another thing I can tell you about discouragement. Discouragement is contagious. It is contagious. You get around people that are discouraged, and pretty soon you'll be discouraged. You get around someone that's down, and that's basically their, their mentality, their thinking. I mean, and, and you spend any time with them, and pretty soon, I mean, the sun will not come out tomorrow. It's not going to happen. I mean, they, everything to them is, is, is bad and, and negative and all. And so we need to be careful about discouragement. But the question is, how do we get there? We're there, so how do we get there? You know what's interesting? It tells us how they got there. There are some things that happen right here in the Scripture that helps us understand when it comes to discouragement. The first one we find right here is in verse 10. In fact, three of them are here, are here in verse 10 that will help us kind of understand it. It says this, the strength of the bearers of burden is decayed. You know what they're saying? They're tired. They're fatigued. I mean, they, they're worn out. I mean, they, they've been working and working and working. You know, and I don't realize they probably didn't have too much heavy equipment back then, do you think? Not too many cats then, and, you know, all that kind of stuff to lift, the, to lift things up. I mean, didn't have too much of that stuff going on. So they pretty much did everything by hand. And so they were tired. They had been working. Half the job was done, and they were tired, and they were active about this situation. And let me tell you something right now. When you're physically tired, it's hard to be spiritually up. When you're just tired, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Not during service. I see some of you back there said, thank you, Jesus. He is driving me crazy. When I see you guys go to sleep, I believe you're praying. Now, the snoring bothers me a little bit now because, I, you know, if we were Pentecostal, you'd be speaking in tongues that way. I could take it that way. But, uh, but, so, but one of the most spiritual things, you know, things look better in the morning when you get a good night's sleep. It really does. And so one of the things that, when it, it sounds so very simple, but one of the things we need to do, we need to get the proper rest. I mean, there's no question about it. We need to rest ourselves. These guys were fatigued. These guys were tired. And because of that, I mean, they were very susceptible to, to Satan's attack. Now, how many know Frederick W. Taylor? He's a popular guy. You all know him, don't you? You probably do know him. Freddie, Freddie, <laughs> Freddie, Fre Freddie Taylor. Frederick W. Taylor. Let me tell you, we all like him. He's a friend of all of us. Let me tell you who he is. In 1898, he did a scientific study, and he proved that in the workplace, people produce more if they have breaks. Frederick W. Taylor is the, is the founder of the coffee break. You learned something, didn't you? Who says you don't learn nothing in church? I just gave you something right there. So Frederick Taylor was the guy that said, we need to have a coffee break. And so, and so we, we, it, this is the thing that, that the problem they had here in Nehemiah, and they didn't, didn't take time, and so therefore they were worn out, they were tired. And we mentioned to you when this fatigue generally happens in uh, verse 6, so built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together under the half thereof. You know, generally when we get discouraged, it's about halfway through a project. You paint your house, you're about halfway through. You're halfway done, and there's ladders and paint and drop cloths, and your wife is driving anyway. And, uh, you know, you know it, it's one of those situations where you don't, 
about halfway down, done with the project. And, and churches sometimes get involved with that. They, they start a project, and right at first, everybody's excited. Man, we can do it. About halfway through, you can do it. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> yeah. You know, you know folks know uh, when I, they're talking about doing certain things. I don't think he's here right now. Uh, he makes the next service. But they always know when I say, we'll help you, that means Dale's going to help you. We is French for Dale. And so, and so the guy in black, I don't know what the black stuff's all about, but anyway, uh, that's the guy. But uh, so <clears throat> the first thing we see, and, and, uh, and I'm trying to do this as light as possible because discouragement's tough, man. Discouragement's awful. And, and really, we do all face it in some form in our life. So fatigue, we see it right here. The scripture talks about fatigue, just being, being tired. The second thing we see, verse 10, it says There's, there was much rubbish rubbish uh this is speaking of being frustrated again if you've ever done any remodeling uh what is frustrating is all the stuff that's in your home and all the things that are there that you're trying to you're trying to uh to deal with and certainly parents of small children understand that it's, the house is never clean and you never get it because there's just stuff everywhere all the time and it gets frustrating and when we don't deal with these, this, this rubbish, this trash in our life, it has a tendency to, to increase. And I think that it has a tendency to be a barrier, too, of our main goal of getting the job done. And, and the problem is, is that we can't avoid the, the trash or the rubbish, but we ought to be able to recognize it. What is it in your life, the rubbish, that's keeping you from doing what you need to do? It's amazing. We don't talk anymore. We, we text. I mean, maybe that cell phone that is, you know, that you have hooked to your hand all the time, or maybe that computer. Uh, you know, these things are wonderful things, and you know, it's very—it's always amusing to me when I hear people preach like against TV or against cell phones. How can I preach against an inanimate object? You can make it sin, but it's not sin. But we got to be careful that what is taking our time and our energy and our efforts and it's so gotten into our life. And, you know, there's, there, there's sometimes what we need. I, I hear people, particularly church people, uh, they talk about we need the filling service. We need the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I'm thinking, I don't really think so. I don't think that's true. I think we need an emptying service. Get some of the junk out of our lives. You get some of the stuff out of your lives, God will be there. I mean, the reason why he doesn't have an office space in your life is there's none there. There's no room for you. If God called you, you'd put him on hold, you see? And so we see these guys uh, building this wall. They were, they were tired, and they were frustrated because all the stuff, and I realized they were about half done, and, and you know, they, there was so much more that needed to be done, and all this stuff, is, uh, everything was under construction. So it seems like our interstate system. It's always under construction. You know, just, you know, it is. The third thing we see, not only were they frustrated, the Bible says in verse 10, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 10, we cannot rebuild the walls. What they said, we cannot rebuild the walls. And what they were saying is that we probably shouldn't have started this project anyway. We probably shouldn't have done this. Uh, who were who we thinking that we could get this job done and you know, we're not meeting the original deadline. And, and, and things, things didn't go the way we thought they would go. <laughs> Boy, that's life, isn't it? Uh, things didn't work out, and so therefore we didn't do it in the time frame we thought we should do it. it, it didn't, uh, not everything was accomplished that we thought we could accomplish. You know what happened? We just simply failed. We failed. 
Not only are we tired, not only are we frustrated with how things are going, but really, we, we basically failed. And I think that's a very difficult thing when you come to the situation. And, and we all, you know, we all, ha- we all have failures, failures in our life. I mean, failures are a part of our life. And, uh, and, you know, you need to ask yourself, when I go through times of failure, how do I respond to that? Do I feel sorry for myself or do I blame other people? Or, or, or You know, we're always blaming. It's always someone else's fault because we failed. You know, winners see failures just as temporary setbacks. And I think it's important just to understand that these things come into our life. And, and, and I find when, when these things come into my life, you know, if there's nothing that can get my attention like failing. There's nothing that will help me to evaluate my life more than to fail. And I like to say to the Lord, I, I've got all the evaluation taken care of now. <laughs> I don't need any more failure. But it does come into our life, doesn't it? It happens to us. It doesn't matter who you are this morning. You may have walked in here and you're really discouraged. And you're trying to figure out, what has happened? Why, why am I this way? And, and I'm sure that these folks that were talking about it here in Nehemiah chapter 4, what, what causes me to be in this state of mind and to feel the way I feel? And we understand because of fatigue and, and because of frustration and because of failure, these things are in our life. But there's one more that's very painful. Look at verse 11. And our adversary said, now, just because the adversary say it doesn't mean it's true. Just because they say it. The adversaries say a lot. But it doesn't mean it's true, okay? But they, you know what? Truth has no problem with the adversaries. Truth is relevant. Now, to them. And our adversary said, they shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. The fourth discouragement is fear. Fear. The world has the ability to gender up fear in our life. Oh, what's going to happen? What's going to take place? Oh, you know, you know, you've heard me say, what generally defeats people, it's not what happens. It's what they think is going to happen. It's not actually what's going on. It's what they think is going to go on. We live in a world that is plagued by this kind of mentality today. It's not what's actually happened. We think these things are going to take place. And so, therefore, it brings great fear to our hearts and fear to our life. And you got to understand, these folks were going through a very difficult time. First of all, the walls were down. And they were criticized. And they were mocked. And they were ridiculed. And they were, and they were threatened. I don't think anyone likes to be ridiculed or criticized. And verse 12 again says, And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelled by, the, by them they're in the area, they said unto us ten times. Every time I read that, it's amazing. They didn't say it one time. They said ten times, you're going to die. You're going to die. They're going to get you. I mean, over and over. Friends like that, we don't need. And these people were supposed to be sharing a common goal, a common bond. They were Jews. They shared in the reproach that was happening in Jerusalem. And these guys, you know, I always, I always like it when, you know, when I deal with people that want to criticize on certain situations. I always tell them this, I like it the way I'm doing it better than the way you're not doing it. So easy for you to criticize, but you're not doing anything. 
You're not, you're not, you're not in the fight. You're not, you don't realize what's going on. It's easy to criticize. Get in the fight. Get in the game. See what it's like. That sounds so easy. <laughs> Jump on in. Come on. It's easy to be on the outside. It's easy to be a spectator. It's so funny. Well, we won the game Sunday. Boy, those Gators really beat up on those. Uh, who did they beat up on this time? I can't remember. It's just so many people. And, uh, but, but, you know, I wasn't on the field. I didn't do that. I mean, you know, it's, it's almost foolish to say, well, look what we did. You didn't do anything. They did it. And a lot of times, you know what, hap- you know what, you know what the problem with most churches are? Church is a spectator sport. We just watch what's going on. And when I read the Scripture, Christianity is for folks that are involved. We are to be involved. And if we're going to stop people, if, certainly if I was the enemy and I wanted to stop people, the way I would do it, I would discourage them. And this is what was happening. These people should have been supporting them. These people, these people should have been uplifting them. They should have been helping them do the job. But, in all, but they didn't. Ten times they said, you're going to die. They're going to come in. You won't even know it, and they're going to kill you, and the work will stop. Hmm. Let me give you a piece of advice. Keep away from negative people. Keep away from folks that, that this, is, this is their spirit. This is their attitude. You stay around negative people enough, and you will be negative. Negative always defeats positive. If you don't believe that, leave your lights on tonight. Call me tomorrow, because you'll need a ride. No, call Charlotte. No, Dale, anybody. But what I'm telling you is this, that, you know, I think it's very important. And it's not that I don't think you ought to divorce ourselves from all people and all that kind of stuff. But the folks that are closer to you that have some impact on your life, these people need to be positive. They need to be thinking the way you're thinking. I'm not talking about living in a dream world. I'm not talking about not dealing with reality. But here's the, here's the thing, guys. This is reality. There's a job for us to do. We've got a wall to build. If we're not careful. We're going to be in trouble. And so this morning, the thing that I, I encourage you about, the thing I, I challenge you about, or even something for you to think about, what is it that's discouraging you this morning? What is it that, that has you on the ropes, if you will? Embarrassment? Afraid you're going to get embarrassed? Or failure? Afraid you can't handle the pressure? Afraid you're not perfect? You see... God gave these guys a job to do, build the walls. And I believe that God has given us a job to do. And I like to be able to tell you that serving Jesus, that there's never any problems. I like to be able to say to you, everyone's always for what we're doing. But that's not true. Because we're in a fight. And there's ridicule, and there's criticism, and that's not easy to deal with. But it's worse when it's the brothers and sisters in Christ that take up the bat, take up the, the mantle of, of discouragement and defeat. You have walked in this morning, and I don't think anyone likes to admit that you're discouraged. We like to put on the Christian smile. We like to give the answers. You know, whether it's true or not, we like for folks to believe that everything's okay with my family. 
my marriage is perfect. It is. But, but uh, he said, how do you know? My wife told me. And uh, <laughs> so I know stuff. I know things. But, hey, we struggle like everybody else struggles. We, we have problems like everyone else pro- have problems and difficulties. And I think this morning you've walked in, and you may have walked in with the thinking that no one is going through what you're going through. No one is facing what you're facing. No one has a load like you've got it. I'm here to tell you, it's not true. That's not true. So how do we deal with it? Well, you've got to admit the problem, first of all. You've got to, you've got, you, know, you know who we lie to the most? Ourselves. We're lying to ourselves all the time. You've got to quit that. I'm okay. No, you're not okay. You're not okay. You've got to recognize the source of the problem. Maybe you're just tired. You burn the candle at both ends, and you're not as bright as you think you are. Let me quit that stuff. Maybe you got stuff in your life that needs to get out. There's some things you're doing. You can quit that stuff. Give it up. Say, well, I want God to take it from me. He didn't give it to you. You're the one who got it. Give it up. Maybe you've had some failures in your life. Failures are always painful. But you know what makes it more painful? That we learn nothing from it. Then it's not only is it a failure, it's a tragedy. Learn something from the failure. Or maybe you're here this morning, you're fearful. Just fearful. You're fearful of what's going on in our country. You're fearful about what's going on in the ministry. You're fearful about what's going on in our church. You know, fear. The Bible's real clear that fear doesn't come from God. God does not give us a spirit of fear. It's just not there, guys, but of love and power and a sound mind. And so that's, that's just the stuff not of God. Maybe you've got some folks in your life that are complainers and gripers, and you need to get some new friends. So the question is this, do you want some help? I don't know. One thing I think that Nehemiah did that to me is... Uh, is helpful is that he he prayed both times uh, do you think nehemiah hurt i think he was hurt i think nehemiah was hurt i think nehemiah was disillusioned uh, i believe things happened to nehemiah particularly that last group that he didn't really i don't think he saw it coming and, and i think that's okay i mean if we if we're constantly skeptical if we are constantly uh you know fearful if we're constantly in a situation where oh we're so afraid but what's going to happen Oh, we're so afraid how things are going to turn out. I know how things are going to turn out. I know who's the head of all this. I know how this is going to work out. And my responsibility is whatever time he, I have left here, I'm going to do everything I can to share the gospel with as many people as we possibly can. In January, we're going to be talking to you about some things that God's been going on here. It's a blessing, some unbelievable blessing that folks don't realize what God's doing. But to this morning, I want to pray for you, okay? Why don't you bow your heads? I'm going to pray for you. Your heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Not, you know, you've been here enough. I'm not coming to you. I'm not going to embarrass you. It's not my goal. But I want to pray for you. As a preacher, I've walked.